All right, great job on owning your zone and hearing uh, uh, the testimonies of today of those who've given their life to following Christ. That is truly the highlight of the day uh, for me. And hopefully, I know for some of y'all who are here with family members and friends that you come to see your family member or friend baptized, that is the highlight for you today, one that you'll, you'll mark down. But you know, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. This doesn't happen on its own. There's great intentionality to a person going from being away from Christ to Christ, away from uh, far away in, in, in relationship, far away in lifestyle, that this, this happens because of what I'm going to share with you today. And it's been, been something that, that, that has absolutely driven our church from the beginning. I hope it is still a part of our DNA. I question it sometimes. Uh, but listen, this is a series of messages that we're going back to our foundational roots as a church and revisiting them and making sure we're still what we said we were going to be about from the beginning. I don't know how many of you have ever taken road trips with your preschoolers. Uh, it doesn't take very many of those before you decide a better method to travel or something like that, if you at all can. Um, but have you ever heard the statement, are we there yet? Even though you're still going 70 miles an hour down the road, you're a long ways from being there. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that statement from your children. All right, good. It hasn't gone out of vogue. I used to ask it all the time because that's all we traveled were road trips growing up. Uh, one of the times we were traveling back from uh, Africa, we were flying through uh, South Africa and we flew all the way nonstop. At that time, it was the longest continuous flight in the, on the planet. And it was 14 hours or 15 hours from Johannesburg to Cape Town, to Cape Town, to Atlanta. And uh, it was forever. Now, there were five, five in our family. And uh, at that point, Josh was a baby. And, uh, at, and when we bought our tickets, they said, oh, you don't have to buy a ticket for him. He's a baby. He'll, you'll set it bulkhead, and he'll be at the front, and you'll just put him in his little bassinet, and he'll just sleep for 14 hours. I'm thinking, thumbs up on that all the way. And so we didn't have to buy. So we had five people traveling on four tickets and it was a sweet deal until we got to the plane, got on the plane and the flight attendant said, no, that's a big baby. That baby won't go in the, in the bassinet. You're going to have to hold your baby for 14 hours. And, uh, on that trip, mom and dad were asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? We were watching the little map on the, on the airplane. We never got there. So anyway, you have those stories of, are we there yet? I'd like to ask Christianity, are we there yet? Surely we're there. I mean, we've been going at this for 2000 years. Surely we're there by now. And you might be asking, where is there? And that's a legitimate question. But when you come back to it, I got to go back to last week's message if you were here with me. And we ended the message by talking about keys. If you weren't here, this will make no sense to you. So I'm going to try to quickly bring us up all to speed. But the keys that I speak of are the keys that, that, that Jesus gave his church. He even says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a pretty sweet promise from God. And as he gives us these keys and he gives us this challenge, what does that mean? He gave that, that talk, if you will, six months prior to his crucifixion. 
I want to fast forward it 40 days after his resurrection. So we're skipping over a span of time. And I want us to go to the book of Acts. And I want you to find that. And we're going to be there in just a moment. But before we're there, I'm still on the question, are we there yet? Are we there yet in the Christian faith that we finally achieved the place that God has told us to go to? When you look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Then we will have arrived. Then we can get off this train. Then we will be at the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, just as we're told to pray. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're aiming for. That's where we want to be. But he gives a bit of a condition to that. He said, when the kingdom is proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. Now, when you break that down, when he talks about nations, is he talking about geopolitical systems? No. He's talking about individual people groups that are out there. In fact, the word here uh, is used 67 of the 69 times in the scriptures, in the New Testament, when nations is translated. It is actually the, the Greek word ethnos, which is where we get our English word ethnic from. It makes sense. And so you see this word there, and, it's, and what it means there is the idea of every ethnic group that's out there. There are far more ethnic groups than there are nations, political, geopolitical centers out there, or countries with borders and so forth. So when we're talking about every nation has got to hear before the end will come, are we there yet? Well, the answer to that is, is no, we're not, obviously, because we're still here and he's not here. And so in the kingdom form. And so what are we looking at here? What, what's our status? Where are we at on the map? Well, according to missiologists and, and anthropologists, there are 11,296 different people groups that populate our world. Of those, 6,909 of them are not yet reached 3,030 of them are not even engaged. That means there's not a missionary, there's not a, there's not a pre- preacher, there's, there's not a church, there's not a Bible, there's not a Jesus film. There's absolutely nothing. You can walk their streets, you can talk to their people, and you can say the name of Jesus, and they won't know who you are talking about. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. And this is something that disturbs me as coming from my own background and my own heart and, and even starting Grace Point Church. I want to get there. I want to see all the nations of the earth. I want it to happen in this generation. It's not going to happen without great intentionality. It's not going to happen without great resources, great commitment, and tremendous amount of sacrifice from everybody in this room and beyond this room that names the name of Christ. In fact, I would say this, that all the churches, all the churches need to become uh, really about the world and about the nations and about these unreached people groups. We have, a few years back, about six or seven years ago, went, we were going all around the world, and we still go all around the world in our different global adventures and the things that we do around the world. But there was, a, there was a, this, this time in my heart in life that, that I really felt like we needed to lead the church to really zero in like a laser on one particular people group out there. Not because it's the most important people group. There's not a most important people group. But we just had to start somewhere. And so let's just start with one. One of the 6,000. 
And so we zeroed in on what are known as the Bomber people. And if we could take one, if we could take the Bomber people and zero in on them, and maybe in the next decade, our church would be so intentional, so focused, that one of the 6,909 people groups might be reached. And then if another church would do that, and another church would take one, then, then we could ask the question, are we there yet? And we could say, yes. We have arrived. All the nations of the earth have a gospel witness that is reproducing there. Now, this is not new with me, but it is something that has stirred in my heart for a number of years. It's the very reason we came back to start Grace Point Church. And it was a book study that's been out for 25 plus years that really helped shape this this pathos in my heart, this ethos of, of who we are as a church, about where we're going and what we're about. Henry Blackaby made this statement in his, in his study, Experiencing God. Every congregation is a world mission strategy center. What if we really own that statement? That we really saw that everyone in this room and everyone was a part of a global missions strategy. That we were really going to go somewhere and we were really going to make an impact somewhere. That would be my hope. It would be my hope, it would be your your desire to be a part of a church like that. Now again, if you're a guest here today, this may not be for you. In fact, this may be the reason you don't join Grace Point Church. is because you don't want to be a part of that. And and it's okay, I'll let you and God wrestle with that. But if you call Grace Point home, then we need to be begging this question. Are we there yet? And what's it going to take to get there? And will we ever make it there? You think, Mike, okay, where did you come up with all of this idea of, the, uh, of what's the church is supposed to be? And our, don't we do missionaries, let missionaries do that kind of stuff, and we just kind of stay here and just take care of home? And the reality is, is no. We're all about it. We're all about the nations, but we're also about home. You have your Bibles there. You have it hopefully in Acts chapter 1. And this is going to begin our study where we're going to do some high-level skipping through the, through the book of Acts. We're not going to finish it. We're not going to hit every verse. We're not going to hit all the, 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 the chapters and the verses. We're going to hit some high-level things that will help us, hopefully help all of us, make sure we are on board with being this kind of Acts church. And the, you cannot read chapter 1. If you're going to find one verse in chapter 1 and you're going to zero in on it, you've got to go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Because it says what we are to be about here. And in this passage, let me just, before we read this, as you look at that verse there, what's going on here? Again, this is six months, or excuse me, this is 40 days after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus has been handing off the baton. I mentioned last week in our series or in our message that kind of kicked this off that Jesus was preparing to hand off. His exit strategy was the church. And then now he's handing it off. And as he hands off the baton to the church, as he goes to prepare a place for us, he tells us in his word, as I am sent, so I am sending you. And now here he says in verse 8, he makes this statement. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Stop right there. Let me bring the keys back out again. Power and authority are represented in these keys. You have power to drive my cars. You have authority to get into my house. You have a whole lot of power and authority. And he given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
And then now he turns around and he says, I'm giving you power. You will receive power. This word is where we get our English word dunamis. Uh, it's, it's actually the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite from. So we're talking about power here. We're going to have strength. We're going to have what it takes to get the job done. Now, what is the job? Where are we to go? What's it about? Where are we to be his witnesses? Where are we to tell his story? What is a witness? A witness is a person who has something to share that they've experienced, that they've witnessed themselves. If you don't have a story from God, a story of God in your life, we need to start there today. But if you have a story of God in your life, of him working in your life, of him saving your life, this is a great place to start, but it's the last place you want to end. You want to go beyond that. And we need to be witnesses. So where are we to be witnesses? You see them there. Read it out loud with me. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, I just want to break those down in a very simplified manner today. But I want to break them down. And I want to ask you, where are we to be about sharing the story of God? The story that he is writing and working into us. And I want to point out that these are areas, if you will, that we need to be sharing and exploring into. These are peoples. All right. There are four different peoples that he mentions there. First of all, he mentions Jerusalem. I'm going to call that your peeps, your peers, and your parents. We need to be thinking about our friends. We need to be thinking about the people that we work with, we interact with, that, that, that we know by first and last name. We need to be thinking about our family, broadening that beyond just parents, to think about family, those immediately in your life. Why do I say that about Jerusalem? Because that's where they lived. They lived in Jerusalem. They lived with their families in Jerusalem. They worked in Jerusalem. They did what they did in Jerusalem. They shopped in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was home base for them. And Jesus tells his early disciples, start there. Go to your friends, go to your peeps, your peers, your your parents, and share with them. Be my witnesses. Now, this is just me, okay, for just a moment here. What do you share or how do I share that I have found to be somewhat effective? And there's a a three-point mental checklist that I think it's a rational process, if you will. I try to think rationally. But there's a rational process when I think about... What a person that I'm a peep, a peer, or a family member with that I want to make sure that they get. One is I want to make sure they get that they own it in their heart, that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. So from the Word of God, from my story, I talk about how I was a sinner in need of a Savior, how I was saved at one time. But before that, I talk about my life before Christ. How they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And everybody needs to understand that. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 speaks to that. The second thing is I want to make sure that they know that they can be saved. There is, there is a road. There, there is hope out there. There's a, there is another option, if you will. And Jesus Christ came while we were still sinners, it says in Romans 5, 8. And he died for us while we were still sinners. He made a way for us. All right? So I want to make sure they know that. I want to make sure also that they know they can be saved. Excuse me, how to be saved. Not only can be saved, but how to be saved. And that means walking through the idea of repentance, walking through the idea of how Christ has changed my life, and I'm on a different course because of Christ. There ought to be a difference in our life because of Christ. If you can't mark that, 
Examine your faith and make sure you're of the faith, as Paul said in other writings. Listen, what it is, is it's not me standing above you and talking down to you. It's not me having all the answers. In fact, I don't have all the answers and neither do you. But it's me being in my peeps, peers, and parents and family members' lives enough that I, as one beggar, can share with another beggar how to find bread and where to find bread. That's really what we're doing, is I'm just helping that person. So think about the first circle in your life, that first circle being those closest to you. They could be family members. They could be just affinity people, people that in your networks. Okay, let me, let, me, let me broaden that a little bit. So there's a person that I had a, give you an example anyway, I had a, a growing relationship with in friendship. And it was only because of the affinity, the, the connection that we had, a hobby, if you will, that we had together. It was a group of us that had this, have this hobby together. And, and this person began to share with me some real-life traumatic things that were going on in their marriage. And set up an appointment actually to come because they didn't know I was a pastor for a long time and then they found out I was a pastor. Then uh, they didn't run from me or anything like that, uh, like I had the plague, but they actually wanted to reach out to me. So we started a conversation. And the conversation was really quick in, in that I got a picture that this person had not been in church since they were 12 had a bad church experience at 12, had left the church. Now they're about mid-30s. So we're sitting here talking. And I gave them one of my favorite of all times. I've given out to some of y'all in this room today. Books, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. I said, just go home. Just start on day one. Just start reading it. The very first line in the book is, it's not about you. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you will be. And so we just start taking off. And about... I don't know. It's a 40-day study. About halfway through the study, this person made another appointment with me. We got back together. And they came in smiling from ear to ear saying this, I did it. I did it. I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't have to say a word. I just was a conduit. I was just in the person's life. I was just available. I was just aware. I was just praying. All through that whole process, God used me, used the book, used circumstances to bring it together. Guess what? You can do the same thing. And you can do the same thing. And you can do the same thing when we see ourselves as his carriers of his story into the ends of the earth. But start with your peeps, your peers, and your parents. Number two, go to your connections and your crowds and your cousins. Notice he said go to Judea, Jerusalem, and then go to Judea. Judea was just south, kind of on the edge of Jerusalem. He said go to Judea and do the same thing. Now I'm going to broaden Judea out to say it's like Benton County, Washington County. It's like northwest Arkansas. Now who are these people? Now, these may not be the people you know their first and last name. You may only know their first name. You may not even know their first name. This could be somebody in your neighborhood. This could be somebody in your work circles of networks that you work around and work with. This could be, this could be somebody at the drive through window. Every time you go through Starbucks, you see the same person. For me, let me tell you the true story that's developed over the course of several uh, I would say maybe even several years, at least a year, it's been emerging. I go to a, a particular restaurant that I like to eat at on a regular basis, and and uh, and I and I go into this restaurant, and of course you get to know the people that that serve you in the restaurant over time. 
And um, this one particular waitress it has served me a lot over the course of the time. And so as we're talking, just again, you don't have but seconds to talk and carry on the conversation, but we're just talking. And finally one day she says, so do you work at Walmart? I said, no, but we all do, don't we? And, uh, and, and so we carried on a little bit further and then that was it. When I told her I was a pastor, she didn't run, but she hung out a little bit. She said, oh, really? She said, where? And I said, well, I'm just down the highway there. And I kind of told her where it was. And, and uh, so that was it. Conversation ended. Fast forward. We've had, I saw her several times since then. Fast forward to two weeks ago. Was in the restaurant. It was slow at that time. This time she hung around the table a little longer. She'd been thinking about me being a pastor And she said, now, do you let people that are not members of your church come to your church? I said, absolutely. I said, you come on. And she said, well, see, my family, we grew up Mormon. And she said, and all my family's left the church. And so I don't know where to go. She's a nursing student at the U of A. She works part-time as a waitress. And I don't think she's in the room today. But if you are, thanks for coming. Uh... First of all, uh, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't rat you out. I didn't tell your name or anything like that. But here's what, here's, here's what my point is. This is, this is real life. And the sooner we realize that we carry within us a message, we carry within us the power to share that message to real people in our lives, in our Jerusalem, in our Judeas, the more we can make an impact on people's lives and the more the kingdom of God can grow and become. So think about your connections, your crowds, and your cousins. But number three, I want to talk about the knots and the nobodies. Because he also said you need to go to Samaria. Now, Samaria is probably not your, your normal thinking kind of, kind of place. If you understand that the Samaritans lived in Samaria. That was the other side of the track. That was just north of Jerusalem. In fact, we have a map here. It's just north of Jerusalem. Judea was to the south. But if you were a card-carrying Hebrew Jewish man, you would not go to Samaria. In fact, the Samaritans were half dogs. It dates back to the exile when those, long story, but basically they intermarried and they weren't full-blooded Jews. And when the Jews came back, the Hebrews came back, they considered... Those that were there, those that intermarried Samaritans, and they were half dogs. Literally, the Jews called them that. So you would not go to Samaria. Jesus at one time in his own ministry said this, I must needs go through Samaria. Blew his disciples away. We don't go through Samaria. Jesus says, I go through Samaria. What we have to realize is our calling is to go to the knots, the nobodies. Sometimes that's a not so clean of a person. Sometimes that person doesn't look like us, act like us, smell like us. But where to go and take the message to them? Jesus was one time with his disciples and he was saying to them, he said, you know, I was naked and you clothed me. I can just imagine the disciples, the neurons were firing. Okay, who clothed him? Okay, I don't remember doing that. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Everyone's thinking, not me, not me. Who did that? Who did that? High five them. You know, all that kind of stuff. You see, sitting there thinking. And then he said, okay, finally, they interrupt Jesus. They say, Jesus, uh, who? We didn't do that. <laughs> we never did that. And Jesus made this statement to him. 
When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. What, what Jesus is looking for is for us to go to the people that we would normally run from, normally shy away from, and to be Jesus in their life. Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, rewrote that statement like this, For I was hungry while you had all you needed. I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger, and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick, and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison, and you said I was getting what I deserved. We need to change our perspective. I had an interrupting interrupting kind of phone call yesterday. I tweeted about it, so some of you all may have seen the tweet. But it really has disturbed me almost to the point of losing my appetite. But I got over that, and I ate anyway. The, um, but truly, the story was whenever I had a phone call from a pastor in Zambia uh, where we used to live, and he told me that right now their, their village is so hungry, the rain stopped two months early, their crops didn't develop, that people are walking two days up an escarpment to a place that has food, and two days back just to feed their family. And I had three solid meals yesterday. And you know what? I asked questions like, what do I want today for lunch? Instead of, do I have lunch? What we need to realize as followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to love the nots and the nobodies. We've got to share His story and literally demonstrate His love to them, those people that we wouldn't normally go to. All right, so I want to give a challenge out there to the church today. And so to be a witness here in Northwest Arkansas. Just start here. We'll talk about the rest of the world in a moment. But let's just take a 60-day challenge. Originally, I was going to do 30 days, but I'm going to stretch it out to 60 days. And I want to say that what if over the next 60 days... Now, don't walk out of here and just excuse this off. I'm truly real about this challenge. You take the next 60 days and you identify cousins and crowds and connections and peers and, and, and parents and peeps. And you, 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 enter, you, you get that and you identify them and you invest in them. And you pour yourself into them and then you invite them and you intercede for them. And just... Just bring them. I mean, where, where do I invite them? Invite them to Christ or invite them to your body life group. Invite them to church. In the next 60 days, can you identify one, two, or three people that you're going to say, all right, God, you've already brought them to mind. I'm going to start praying right now for them. I'm going to start looking for that opportunity right now. And we're going to make it easy for you. If they're an adult, it'll be easier. All right, we're going to have a sacred marriage conference and a sacred search conference. So if they're single, bring them to sacred search. If they're married, bring them to sacred uh, marriage. It's going to be the 12th, 13th, and 14th. Not trying to sell tickets. Your, Your offerings are subsidizing most of this. It's going to be a basic minimal cost. Next Sunday, the tickets go on sale. You buy tickets for you and your other, and then maybe your friends, your peeps, your peers, your crowds, those people who are far from Christ. How can you help bring them one or two steps closer? Think about it. But there's one more circle. 
There's the unknowns. There's the unfamiliars. All right? There's the uncomfortables. I'm going to ask you now to think beyond your comfort zone. To be willing to reach beyond your comfort zone. Because if you'll notice what he said there in verse 8, he said that you're also to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Are we there yet? And the answer, of course, is no. We just established that in the beginning. But he's telling us that not once. He tells us five different times. He tells us it in John 21. But here's in Matthew 28. He says, make disciples of all nations. In Mark chapter 16, 15, preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24, 27, repentance and remission of sin should be preached to every nation. It's a call to the nations, to the people groups out there. This, this church has been about this from the beginning. And again, you're not going to like us. You're, we're going to be like sandpaper in your life. If you don't get a heart for the nations, if you don't start praying for the nations, what, what Randy just shared about watching on the wall, listen, there ought to be no excuse. Every one of us ought to be involved in the nations. Even if we're just praying at 2 a.m. in the morning. Think about it. How can you be involved in the nations? That 1040 window is that, that most unreached area of the world that we have we said, okay, we're going to reach into that area. We're going to take one people group and we're going to say, we're going to, we're going to reach them and hopefully over the course of the next decade we'll see that one people group become a reached people. We've been doing this in one village for about six years. Well, actually about five years. And then we've been out of that village for the past two years. We call it K-Village. When we went into this village in West Africa, we went there and there were six believer men, barely believers, I can say it like that. They had just given their life to following Christ and really didn't know one end up or from down. They had never been baptized. It was totally a pioneer work. Five years later, after commissioning 100 people from our church to go to this one village... We would pull out of that village for the last time and there are 45 to 50 believers, all of them baptized. Sarah Williams, who used to be our preschool minister, has now gone to be with the Lord, died in an unfortunate uh, um, situation, sickness in her body. And, uh, but she baptized the first woman in the village. A powerful, beautiful story of people that you may never see this side of heaven. But we poured into that village. Let me tell you another story that just happened. We've never shared it with you. It's a girl named Mary. Mary is one of the translators that we use. Now, we have to use whomever can speak English and whoever can speak Bambra. Mary is one of those bilingual, actually trilingual. She can speak also French. And she is Muslim. She grew up Muslim. All of her family were Muslims. All she knows is Islam. Now, what an ironic tell here. We're Christian people speaking the gospel message through the lips of a Muslim to an animistic traditional culture. I mean, only God can bring that to happen. All right. And clear that that muttered mess up. And so here, here we are. We're speaking through Mary. But the gospel has power. The word of God has power. The spirit has power. We just read about it in Acts 1.8. He said we will have power. And so Mary, here's this Muslim background. She's one of our speakers, spoken and, and preached with me, along beside me many, many times. She knows the message better than I know the message. I'd say to her many times, Mary, when are you going to become a believer and a follower of Jesus? She says, I'm a Muslim. And she would go right on. But I could tell she was getting closer and closer and closer and closer 
We got an email. Lori got it on November the 19th of this past year. And she crossed over the line. She's now a follower of Jesus. And she was just writing to tell us. Now listen to this. She was writing to tell us that she's a follower of Jesus, which was beautiful unto its own. But she was also telling me that she'll, she was also telling us that she'll probably never marry because unless she can find a Christian man, no Muslim will ever have her. She also, well, therefore will never bear children, also will be kicked out of her family when her mother and her father knows about it. Her brothers will probably come and beat her because of this. This is real life. We know Mary. But let me tell you this. At the very last line of her email that she wrote to us over this five, six-year journey of, to her own faith, she said this, as the reason for her becoming a follower of Jesus, because I have seen Jesus in you, Grace Point Church, in many ways, I love you very much. I have seen Jesus in you, Grace Point Church. Uh, We didn't write that. We didn't translate that. That's her own broken English. Listen, that's the best message. That's the best acclamation. I could be recognized. We could be recognized by any institution or organization. But to have somebody say that your church came over here and you showed me Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. That's the message of Christ. And we need to carry that message to the ends of the earth. And, and listen, we're not finished. Listen, it's not going to be over. The end can't come until the work is done. And we have a great family with us today. Troy and Cherie Hall are with us. Troy, come on up here, brother. And Troy and Cherie are our members of Grace Point Church. But they're also not here uh, most of the time. For the past two and a half years, you have been living on a tiny island nation in, in the middle of the ocean. And you've moved your family over there and even added to your family since you've been gone, uh, one child. But what's it like? What's it like working among this nation that's hostile to Christianity? And have you seen God work? Yes, 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 yes. First off, I want to say thank you to the family that uh, keeps us there and uh, keeps us healthy. So thank you for your prayers and your uh, financial giving. Uh, so thank you. I'd like to share a story that kind of goes with what Pastor Mike said was, uh, um, so we're in, a, in the country for about, the, for, you know, been there about uh, two and a half years. The first month and a half, I'm approached by what you would call an extremist. And uh, he comes up to me and he stands before me. And I've already had conversation with this guy already. And he comes and he's what in this country known as Wahhabi. And so he stands before me and he says, Troy, I know you're Christian and I want to debate with you. And uh, so I look at him, and we're going to call this guy Ike. I said, Ike, I said, I will not debate with you, but I would love to have a time where you bring your book, and I'll have my book, and we can read our books together. And uh, so he uh, turned around and walks away. About a week and a half later, I get a text from him and says, I want to meet. Well, this went into the nighttime. It was about 1130 at night, and I had my wife going with uh, with our boys and uh, lock, lock the door in there and, and uh, sleep with them. And I went down, and he says, I'm near, and I go, and it was new moon, so I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face like that. It was so dark. There's no city light, so it's, when it's dark, it's dark. And uh, I went out, and uh, he was walking along the ocean, and I was too, and he says, where are you? I said, I'm walking along the ocean, and he, about that time, he comes up out of the sand, 
And uh, it was like living in a movie, guys. And he brings me, he takes my hand, he brings me, he says, hello, my friend. And uh, he says, and then he walks away from me like this, and he's looking around, and he says, uh, okay, you're going to go up to your house? And I said, yeah, I'm in B02, and uh, you know where I'm at. And he goes, yeah, I'll be up there in about 10 minutes, so you go on ahead. And so I went on up, and about eight minutes later, knock on the door. I come in, we lock that door, deadbolt it. We come in, in me and my wife's bedroom, close that door, deadbolt it. He sits on the floor. He says, where's your book? And I went to the nightstand and on did the drawer, brought the book up, laid it out in front of him, opened it up to, I don't know what book of the Bible was open, but he, all of a sudden he reached out, he's out in front of him, and he just starts caressing the side of the Bible like this, just ever so gently. And I said, like, what do you want to do with this book? He says, at that time he started shaking, and he says, I want to read it. And uh, I want to read it from the beginning with you. I said, that's awesome. I said, but let's do something uh, before we, we start that. And I drew, I got a piece of paper and a pencil and I drew a big circle in the middle of this paper and I wrote the word kingdom. And on the outside of those, I wrote four little circles and in this circle I wrote C for Christian, in this circle I wrote M for Muslim, in this circle H for Hindu, this circle will B for Buddhist. And uh, I said, uh, what are some attributes of being a Muslim? He looks at me and he says, uh, I'm a, you know, I'm a believer. I, I believe in one true God. I said, awesome. He says, uh, I, I fast. I said, yeah. And uh, he says, I pray. I pray five times a day. I said, yeah. And uh, I said, see, this is Christian. And uh, I said, you know, here's some attributes of being a Christian. I said, I believe in one true God. And, was, and uh, I pray. Like, and I, I fast. Like, yeah. I said, but here's, here's the difference between, you know, what's going on here. Uh, I, I said, I'm not looking for you to bring me over to your circle. And don't be looking for me to bring you over to my circle. I'm not here to label you. What I'm here to do is get into this circle here called the kingdom. And how do we do that together? And how can we lock arms and do that together? And then what that does, I don't care what religion they are. In this case, he's a Muslim. We're, you know, we're there among a Muslim people group. And uh, it lets all the tension, all the walls come crumbling down. And now he is engaged with you. And now we can go into a study that talk about the prophets called Seven Signs. And that's what we did. And it took two and a half months to do this. At the end of that, uh, what happens, you start 100% in the Quran. And eventually you get out of the Quran and at the, towards the end of the time, you're 100% in the Injil, which is the New Testament in the Holy Bible. And you're speaking of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not a good prophet anymore. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of of, of God. He is the one that's going to be the rescuer of, to get into this kingdom. And at that point, it's, he's weeping, uh, into this. And, uh, and I'm, you know, it's, it's, you know, and I, I, just, I don't know what to say to him. I say to him, I'm asking, I'm literally asking God, tell me the words to say to this guy. And I said, uh, this is why I'm here. Like I'm, I'm bringing this to you because you've never heard this before. He goes, I've never heard this in my life. And, uh, I mean, he's, he's a aggressive, aggressive in, when it comes to this particular situation. But anyway, and, uh, guys, this whole thing that we were doing is illegal in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, what was going on was during that whole two and a half months, his beard, gone. I did not tell him to do a thing. It's God massaging Jesus into this man. Mm-hmm. And then the Takiha, he start, stopped wearing it. Takihas believe that the, they wear that to keep the evil spirits out of their brain. Uh, the Muhammad pants, he stopped 
wearing Bahama pants, hiked above his ankles. He's wearing full-length pants now. And all of a sudden, uh, after about two, month, two and a half month mark, he's gone. And I'm thinking persecution has gotten a hold of him, and which it was. He was being, why aren't you going to the mosque? Why aren't you uh, wearing your takiha anymore? Why, where's your beard? You know, and, uh, and he's telling them, I don't have to go to the mosque to pray. I can pray in my home. I can pray on the street corner. I, I don't have to go to a particular place to pray. And so, again, God massaging Jesus into him. And uh, he's gone. And uh, I cannot f- find him. He's not te- I can't get a, I'm not going to text him. He's not answering my calls. Long story short, a month and a half later, I'm walking on this island, and uh, he's coming towards me. <laughs> and uh, he grabs my hand, and he brings me in. And uh, he goes, I remarried, and I'm living in my wife's outer island uh, with her family. And uh, guys, when I saw him, his beard's back, Takiha, Muhammad pants. And, uh, he, and he could tell he was trying to flaunt his beard in front of me, and, and, uh, and I didn't say anything. And finally he said, I grew my beard back. And I said, yes, you have. And uh, I said, let me tell you something, Mike. I said, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Uh, you know, if, if, if you feel led to dress a certain way, that's up to you. Or look a certain way, that's up to you. But it's heart change is where the, where the, where the life change happens. And it's modeling Jesus among a people that uh, you now can do this among your family, among your friends. And uh, you can still go into the mosque and pray. I'm not telling you to stop that. There's Muslim Bible believers in this world. And you can, you know, still go to the mosque and pray. When you go into the mosque, you don't pray out loud. So he's like endearing headlights and just a wow moment. And, uh, and that's all it comes down to, guys. It's, it's going to uh, a people group and living Jesus among them where you know in your own life you're getting to know more of him. But more than that, you're making him known through your life. So modeling Jesus is where it's at. He will see it and just let God take care of the rest. Absolutely. Thank Th- thanks, Troy. But before before you go, uh, yeah, give me give me a hand. There, there, we support them. As much as giving them a hand is that statement of appreciation, we've got to pray for them. You're in a very difficult environment, a very tough situation, and you're one of ours. I mean, you were working here as a phys- working in the physical therapy industry and all that kind of stuff, and you left it all to go there. We cannot forget you. We cannot neglect you. And so I want you all to get to know uh, Troy and Sheree. They'll be hanging out in the, in the foyer. We have a new Go Center out there. Please stop by there. Sign up for their newsletter. Uh, and consider how you can be a part because they're in a, in a they're out here, they're back for after two and a half years, raising support so they can go back. They're not going to go back without support. And it costs a lot to live out there. Cost of living, everything's imported, and it's just not easy. And so we're with you. We're going to continue to be with you. And I'm praying that people in this room will even go above and beyond, beyond that. So I want to pray for them now. Uh, but let me just say to everyone in this room, it's not just them going to the ends of the earth. It's all of us so that we can show Jesus to the Marys that are out there. It, you know, across the stage today, I've got several forms. At the Go Center, I've got several forms of just passport applications. If you don't have your passport, do you really believe in the Great Commission? That's a part of it. 
Troy, you come stand here. I want to pray for you. I want us all to stand together and just support him and pray for he and his wife. Sheree will be out in the foyer. You can see, see her out there and meet her out there at the Go Center. But listen, I hope that these applications are gone. I hope that you're making plans. Randy's out there with a whole list of the next 12 months of our global adventures. How and where will you be a part of going to the ends of the earth? Father God, we bow before you. What a calling. God, we got to go. So many of us are planning to stay we got to go. Whatever that means, wherever that is, and Lord, if we can't go, then Lord, help us to, to financially, to spiritually undergird the halls and the people like them who live there and are raising their three kids there. Help us to be a part of the kingdom work in every day of our life. so that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be the church passionate about the glory, the glory of God to the ends of the earth. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.